following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. we come to think together about the Christmas story and the heart of what Christ has done. I'm not sure what traditions you and your family have developed for your Christmas season or what you may remember from childhood, but I remember one particular tradition that my family had growing up, the beginning of each Christmas season as we drove to get our Christmas tree, my mom would read to us the story, the, the best Christmas pageant ever. Maybe that's a classic for you, maybe it's not, but it tells the story of the Herdman children. They're the bad kids in town whom every elementary child flees from, but they show up at church for the first time ever in December because someone lets out the secret that there are donuts at Sunday school. And when they volunteer to take key roles in the Christmas pageant that first year, having never heard the Christmas story before, they're full of fresh questions as they come to the story for the first time. What sort of civilization was this that sent its pregnant women to deliver babies in barns, they wondered. What kind of kid wants myrrh for Christmas? I mean, a bottle of perfume? And one of them emphasizes this by tossing the bottle of perfume and stealing a ham from the food kitchen and bringing that to offer baby Jesus in the pageant instead. I remember laughing at these, these questions and these anecdotes every year as we'd read the story, but, but the questions are important. See, we've all grown up hearing the Christmas story so many times that it it becomes the the same old story. We know how it's going to play out. We expect what's going to happen. In fact, thanks to to many paintings and pictures, we envision the Christmas story as this sort of nice little little cozy, warm barn, a, a sort of local or rustic paradise where angels are sort of softly hymning and welcoming the Savior to the world. But these, these questions from children who had never heard this story, wondering why in the world would God send his son like that? Why in the world would the story happen the way the Bible says that it happened? Is a reminder that, that this story is not expected, it's not normal, it's not natural. It's the furthest thing from what we would expect God to do. And yet, of course, the irony is that that this story is so impossible, so unlikely, so upside down of what we would expect that only God could be the author of it. So at the heart of the story, we've read it once, but just to to repeat these few verses, we read in Luke 2 that Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. I'm not sure what you expect with a royal birth. When I think of royal births, I think of pictures of perhaps some some monarch giving birth to a son in Paris, and fireworks and cannons going off, and in the entire city celebrating 
perhaps some of you children don't think about monarchs being born much, but maybe you've seen it in movies. I was thinking about my kids watching Tangled recently and thinking of the birth of Rapunzel setting off raising lights in a celebration all, the ro- all over the city. And yet here we have the King of Kings, the Lord of the universe, arriving, and Luke describes perhaps the most untriumphal entry that I can imagine. The cold corner of a cave for animals welcomes a baby who's turned out of even the smallest small-town motel. Here we have the arrival of our Savior. Of course, you know, perhaps you think, well, there is some, at least some triumphal part here. I mean, God did send some angels to announce that his son was born. That's fairly unexpected. And, but, of course, the angels don't show up to a nice large audience in Jerusalem where, where perhaps they'd gain a, a good crowd. They go to a few shepherds in the middle of nowhere on the hillside outside of, of Bethlehem. There's been a, if you want to sort of get a picture of, in your mind of perhaps what this would have been like, there's plenty of uh, news media coverage of the British royal couple and, and uh, coming, coming children to the British royal family. I think that the nearest parallel would be you know, if, if Prince William and Kate decided to make a, a birth announcement by giving a phone call to a farmhouse in Coryville and s- trusting that the news would spread from there. This is not a triumphal announcement to all of the people. This is, this is God bringing his son in the, co- the corner of Israel. So why does God, who has been promising this son, this Messiah, for century after century, from prophet after prophet, arrange this untriumphal, unheralded, and unannounced birth, except to a few shepherds on the hillside of Judea? propose that this is because this entry best fits why and how Jesus was coming into the world. So first, why was Jesus coming into the world? There's plenty of answers that have been given to the question, why did Jesus come into the world? Perhaps Jesus came into the world to show people how to live the kind of life that they ought to live. Others have proposed that that Jesus came into the world to give us the best example of love that we could imagine. Or Jesus came into the world to bring peace. And these are certainly results or some results of what Jesus came to do. But Jesus himself answers this question of what did I come to do in Luke 19.10 when he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And Paul echoes this in 1 Timothy when he says, This saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I and the foremost. Why did Jesus show up in Bethlehem? Why did the Son of God even visit His creation in the first place? Because, because all mankind had decided that they would rather do what they wanted to do rather than what God had called them and created them to do. And a result of doing what they wanted to do instead of what God wanted them to do, all mankind gave up seeking God and became stuck in our own and, and in all mankind's brokenness and sin, and pain. And as soon as we think about a world consumed and and subsumed under brokenness and pain, I think it's a a theme we can all identify with in some way tonight. Some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, identify with the thought of being sinners. We know that we have done what is wrong. We know we've messed up. We know we've run from God and run from what's right. Perhaps others can identify with, with the idea of being lost. Perhaps we come tonight confused, anxious, without a purpose in life, doubting God, lonely, not sure what the whole point of our lives are 
anyway. Maybe some of us feel fairly confident about life and we're actually quite happy doing what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do. But as we live through all of the success and, and happiness and pleasure pursuing that we're, we're chasing after, there are some nagging questions that are still hanging around in the back of our minds. What else am I supposed to do with my life? Is this really all that there is? And why does fun stop being fun after a little while? For some of us, perhaps, the thought of our own sin and our own brokenness is lost amidst the pain and brokenness that surrounds us. Perhaps you're coming here full, covered in a life that's, that's surrounded by pain and loss. Whatever category you find yourself in, we're experiencing the same truth, the same truth that we are stuck trying to navigate our way through our sin, our failure, and the sin and failure of the world around us that has all gone after its own desires. But into this situation comes the why of Jesus' birth. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came in order to seek and to save a people for himself, a people that will be his, to seek and save the likes of us, the likes of us who are in brokenness and pain and loss. He's come to seek and save a people who were without hope, without God in the world. Okay, you might say, well, if this is why Jesus came into the world, why did he do it this way? Why did Jesus have to come into the world in the corner of a manger? And maybe some of you here are actually thinking, you know, if Jesus had wanted me to know that he was the God of the universe, surely there is a better way that he could have done that. I mean, he's God. Certainly he could have cooked up some cosmic display of glory. You know, some some impossible miracle that would proclaim to everyone, here I am, I'm God, I've arrived, you've been waiting for me and here I am. Certainly God could have done that. Certainly God could have given me a little more evidence. He could have given me a little more assurance and, and display and announcement and proof that this is the God of the universe arrived in his world. Why did he decide to hide himself in a manger in Bethlehem and expect us to know that he was God and he's here? How come Jesus entered the world this way? But the Bible gives us an answer to the the question of why do it this way, to the how that Jesus entered the world. See, Jesus did come in order to bring a people back to himself. But in order for Jesus to bring a people back to himself, a righteous and perfect and holy God could not look down on a world of sinners who had gone their own way, shrug his shoulders and say, no problem, come on back, no big deal. There's a debt. There's a punishment for our sin and our loss that had to be paid. There's a debt of brokenness and loss for Jesus to take on himself in order to bring his people back to life. And so the Christmas story reminds us that that when Jesus comes, Jesus comes by emptying himself. He comes by emptying himself of his Godhead and taking on the life of, of emptiness, of loss, of pain, that we have gone through. He's come to the lowest point of humanity in order to bring us back with him to the highest point of heaven. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and he became man, humbling himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he did this so that he might cancel the record of debt and sin and shame and failure 
that stood against you and against me. And Jesus became born so that he might die and be nailed to a cross so that God might nail the deserved punishment that you and I ought to have borne to that cross in order to triumph over the claims of sin and death. That's why Jesus came. But Jesus came emptying himself that he might suffer and die in order to bring us to life. See, we, we are seeking to fill up all of the inns. We're spending our time filling the inns, looking for the comfort and security and warmth and, and happiness that awa- awaits us there. While Jesus emptied himself of, of all that he had, all the way from heaven into the dirty cattle cave, all the way to the cross and to the tomb, in order to bring us the only solid joy and hope and peace we can have. A joy and a hope and a peace that comes through forgiveness of our debt and life with Him as His people forever. That is why Jesus came, and that is why Jesus came this way. He is here to save His people. Well, if this is why and how Jesus came, what does that mean for you and me as we show up here on on Christmas Eve? Christmas Eve is all about the happy picture of the baby being born, not about death on the cross and sin and shame, we might think. But see, what does Jesus' arrival on the night of Christmas mean for you and for me? That all depends on why and how we've come to be with God's people tonight. First, why have we come? Why have you and I come here tonight? I was listening to a new Christmas song. It was just written this year by by author Joseph Bottom. And he begins with this comment on those of us who come to be with God's people on Christmas Eve. He writes, Some come because as children they sang old Christmas songs. Some come because as children they suffered hurts and wrongs. The wounded, the poor and shattered, heartsick, lost and battered. But some come for life restored. Some come to see their Lord. Why have you and I come tonight? Maybe we've come because we always go to Christmas services. We've always sung Christmas songs. Why not do it again? Maybe you're here because you're visiting family who want to be here. Maybe maybe you're like the the lady I talked to in the store the other day. I said, what will you do for Christmas? And she said, well, my grandma always likes to go to church, so I guess we'll go to church on Christmas Eve. Maybe that's why you're here tonight. Maybe, Maybe you're here because you're hurt and you're lonely and you don't know where else you'd go. Maybe, maybe you're here. I mean, some of you children were, were part of a, a deal swap, and, and to get your presents tomorrow, you had to be here tonight. I don't know why you're here. Why are you here? There are so many reasons we could be here tonight. But see, God calls to us, and God calls us to this. Have you come here tonight for life restored? Have you come here tonight to see our Lord? Why have you come here tonight? Well, really, in order to answer the question of why we have come here tonight, we really need to answer the question of how we have come here tonight. How have you come tonight? Maybe you've come tonight rejoicing in a glorious Savior who came from heaven and emptied himself to be born as a man, rejoicing in his goodness to you, rejoicing in life and joy and hope and peace that began in the manger, went through the cross and culminated in the resurrection. Maybe we are here tonight rejoicing in this Savior And if so, hallelujah, because that is exactly what the manger points to. That's exactly what tonight is all about. Or maybe, maybe some of you 
perhaps more kids and people like me. Maybe we've come filled with excitement for tomorrow morning, and this service is really just another part of the waiting game, another thing we have to to wait through and, and get through until the unwrapping fest begins tomorrow. But waiting for presence and and waiting for the joy of tomorrow is part of the rhythm of waiting and expectation and fulfilled joy that we celebrate at the Christmas season. So I'm not here to critique that sense of waiting and excitement, but just to ask, what's the point of celebrating and feasting and gift-giving and unwrapping if we forget the whole reason for celebrating and gift-giving and unwrapping? All of this excitement and gifting invites us to come to see the Lord. It invites us to come to see life restored in Him. But maybe, maybe you've come here in a different light tonight. Maybe you've come hurting and broken by a life of disappointment and grief. Maybe you've come uneasy and embarrassed by your failures. Maybe you know you ought to be doing better. We're here at the end of a calendar year, and maybe you come tonight looking back over the course of the last calendar year, embarrassed over the ways that we've failed to be the person God wants us to be. Maybe we realize that, that we hate our habits, but we're stuck in them and keep running back to them. Or maybe you've come tired and, and weary from an exhausting Christmas season. Maybe you feel unprepared and unfocused to delight in a baby king tonight. What then? What if you've come here, what if I've come here tonight to Christmas Eve, filled with brokenness or weariness or, or suffering or failure. Well, if that's how you've come tonight, you're in perfect shape to celebrate Christmas. You're in perfect shape to meet your Savior born as a baby. I want to read a few comments from author Kathleen Norris that she wrote on Christmas Eve. She says this. She says, you know, what a mess we've made of God's greatest gift for us. We scurry about for weeks Baking, spending money we can't afford to spend, working extra hours, rehearsing Christmas pageants. Then on the eve of the nativity, we force our frantic, overstimulated children into their best, uncomfortable clothes, rush off to church, we collapse into a pew, and hope our child isn't the one who embarrasses us by throwing a temper tantrum in this service. By Christmas Eve, most of us find ourselves very far from the true reasons for celebrating. So how is it possible to bridge this gap between our weary reality and the glad, grateful recognition of Jesus' birth as the bedrock of our faith. All is not lost. We are, in fact, in very good shape for Christmas. It is precisely because we are weary and poor in spirit that God can touch us with hope. We are asked only to acknowledge that the world we have made for ourselves is in darkness, but to be attentive and keep watch for the light of Christ. We are asked to acknowledge that our world, our decisions, and and what we have crafted for ourselves is broken and weary. But God, through Jesus Christ, makes us whole again. So how have you come tonight? Christ welcomes us not if we're happy in the comforts of the inn, not if we're glad that our our competent lives have been built up in a secure place, not if we're we're glad and, and sure that we're on Santa's good list and therefore obviously God's too. Not if we're encouraged by the thought that we're doing pretty well. Christ welcomes his people who desperately need him. Christ welcomes his people who have come to see him. Who have come because we know that our only hope is that baby in the manger. How have you come tonight? How have you come and why have you come? Have you come knowing that you need this Savior 
Have you come to see the Lord, to see your life restored in this baby? You know, our malls and and stores and probably our homes have been echoing and blaring joy to the world, hope for every heart, peace on earth, goodwill toward men for the past 30 days or 60 days or 90 days or 100, I don't know how long. Uh, But the joy and the hope and the peace that all these songs are, are declaring and singing and playing, that joy and that hope and that peace, they're not found in the malls. Have you ever felt joy, hope, and peace while doing your Christmas shopping in the mall? They're not found there. They're not found in the stores. And perhaps for some of us, they're not found in our homes either. But they are found in Christ. They are found in the manger. They are found in the baby who was born, who came in order to seek and save lost and weary people. And as we're united to this untriumphant looking baby born in a corner of Judea, as we're united to him and called by his glory and his grace, we find that that we're called to empty ourselves like he did. And yet this call to empty ourselves is actually a call to fullness. So tomorrow morning when we wake up, as we're unwrapping and feasting and celebrating the fullness of another Christmas morning, remember what that's pointing to. It's pointing to a baby. A baby who came to fill us beyond what we could imagine if we will entrust ourselves to this untriumphant king who turns out to be the triumphant and majestic king of kings come to seek and to save you and me. Let's pray. God, we know why you came. You came. You came to us in order to seek us and to save us. To save us as your people. We come tonight, many of us weary, many of us tired, many of us filled with the shame of brokenness and sin in our lives. But we also, many of us, come rejoicing. Rejoicing not because of where our lives are, but because of who our Savior is and what we're celebrating tonight. May that thought fill us in our fullness tomorrow. May our fullness tomorrow be centered in Christ, the baby who is our King. We pray this in His name. Amen.